Hey there, friends. It is great to be with you online again. And how important it is for us to turn our hearts, our minds, everything that we are, once again to God's Word. With that in mind, we're going to be reading from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 8, and then jumping to Revelation 22, verse 20. Hear now God's Word for us. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have his heritage, and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Oh God, right now we need words of hope. We need you to speak truth as to what is coming and what you are doing and what you've promised you will do to completion one day. And God, so we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the promises that you've made. And may we respond to them in faithfulness and perseverance. May you guide us in this moment now to be stirred of spirit, enlightened of mind, impassioned in heart, and fueled in hands, all for your glory and our joy, yes, even now. We pray this in the name of our, your Son, Jesus, and by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Amen and amen. Now, in the midst of everything that's happening in our world right now, and COVID cases back on the rise, I don't know about you, but I really want Christmas to be here now. And, and to be clear, I've been singing Christmas songs since the middle of July, and that may have just alienated about 90% of you who are engaged with this right now. But listen, I feel warm inside when I walk into Costco in the middle of October and there are Christmas trees up. There's just something about it, especially right now. And we have, as a Coyle family, more traditions around the Christmas season than we do any other holiday combined. As a matter of fact, and I, and I ask this, please don't tell my kids, but we've gotten those matching jammies for the whole family for this year, and I cannot wait. Those awkward family photos, all just snuggled around some presents, wearing way too matchy clothes, it's gonna be amazing. And I'm weird, and that goes without saying, most of you who know me well um, feel like, Gabe, you really didn't need to say that. But this year, I want Christmas now. I mean, way more now than ever. And of course, it's not going to look the same, right? I'm not going to have the same opportunity to get around and be around extended family as I would in previous years. Secret Santa is going to be a little bit more tricky. 
You know, can you imagine that going down? Hey, Frank, I got you a mask. You know why, right? I mean, these awkward interchanges, let alone bringing my kids to see Santa at Union Station. I don't even know if that's happening, but I, I can imagine how that would go down. My kids talking through their masks, looking up at Santa, saying, can I get more anti-vac this Christmas? And wait, did Mrs. Claus test positive for COVID? Why aren't you quarantining Santa, right? How, how does it all work with Christmas? I can't answer those questions, but maybe, just maybe, I want it now, just like all of you do, because I'm just longing for something better than what we're experiencing right now. In all seriousness, I, I long for the day when I don't have to throw on a mask just to go outside. Or when I get a runny nose, I don't want it to have to ruin the next two and a half weeks of my life trying to wonder if I'm gonna have to cancel a whole host of meetings. Everyone, I imagine the day that everyone can come back to church again together and we can sing loudly and proudly and, and full-breathed without worrying about spreading any particular virus. I get excited about going to a concert again or going to a restaurant without having to check my calendar and having to hesitate. And that's just the little stuff, right? What about the big stuff? That justice would actually rain down on this world, that God would come and his kingdom would be established, that peace would be known, that poverty would be completely obliterated. We're all longing for something better now, especially now. And I'm curious for you, for what are you longing? Think about that for just a second. Imagine what it is. Close your eyes if you need to. For what are you longing right now? What are you aching for? Well, as we close out our time in the book of Revelation, it's not hard to see that the whole book of Revelation is a book of longings. And what we discover as we come to the end of the book of Revelation is that every longing is a longing for home. Every longing is ultimately this longing for home. Every longing that you and I have, it's ultimately pointing us there. Because really what we're longing for is more than just going back to normal, more than just a vaccine, more than some sort of political resolution, more than just a job, you name it. We're longing for home. And in Revelation, we see that the final word in all of this extraordinary prophetic apocalypse is a word of hope. And it's that this home is on the way here. And today we're going to get a glimpse. So if you haven't already, would you please turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. We've been in a journey in Revelation, and today is the climax of this broader series we've been in entitled Everything Sad Untrue. And there's a day coming when heaven and earth will actually become one, when Jesus returns and our home will be here forever. It will finally be true. Everything sad will actually be untrue. But we know it can't be fully that way until Jesus returns. And so for Advent, what we're actually going to do, because frankly we all just need some extended time of hope, is we're going to take five weeks to unpack what heaven is actually going to be like. And starting next week, we're going to be diving deep. But today, as we close out the book of Revelation, we're going to get an appetizer. Because we just need a taste of heaven today, even before we step into the delicious food of Thanksgiving. I know I need a taste. And so we're going to look at three aspects of this future home that's on its way here, that can spur us on to more faithful living, to perseverance, to keep going, to keep trusting, to keep waiting well. Because one day it will be better, and one day life won't be like this. 
So for starters, what are we looking forward to? Well, number one, we're looking forward to a home that is a place of healing. When heaven and earth become one, when Jesus returns, he's going to make us whole. He's going to complete what he's already begun in you and me. And the first place we actually see this is kind of bizarre. Look with me, Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. The sea was no more. So let me get this straight, Gabe. You love to sing Christmas songs in the middle of July, and now you want to take away the beach. So this guy is absolutely bizarre. I know that's what you're thinking, but hang with me. You see, in the ancient Near East, they didn't look at the sea like we look at Hilton Head, okay? Remember, we're an apocalyptic literature that's using symbols that have cultural, contextual meaning in the first century. And in the first century, the sea was a symbol of chaos and destruction. And this makes sense. Without technological advancements, this is the place where you go to drown. This is where you can have beasts that come and attack you unawares. This is a place you can get lost. It's a place that's a bit unruly. But here, we see symbolically in the new creation that there's actually, when the sea is removed, there's no more disorder, there's no more chaos. And so, will there be seaside resorts in heaven? I don't know. It's a great question. I know my wife is aching for them. But the answer to that question is not found here. The point is that chaos will finally be good, or finally be gone for good. And in the midst of all the beauty of this new world, God addresses the chaos in our society, in our bodies, in our minds, in our hearts, in our relationships, and he does so in a really personal way. And this is maybe one of my favorite passages in all the Bible, and it's right here in Revelation chapter 21, verses 4 and 5. We read, He, speaking of God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. We need these words to be trustworthy and true. And listen, there's, this is what's so fascinating. There are few actions more intimate and caring as wiping away a tear from your eyes. Now, if a stranger does it, it's super, super creepy. Like, don't get near me. This is my personal space. But when someone you intimately love and know, who knows you and loves you for who you are, leans in to wipe a tear from your eye, that gentle touch of the approach, the subtle movement of the finger, this is our God, and this is the intimacy that we're promised. This is how he brings about his wholeness, this level of proximity. And he will finally and fully stoop down and be present with his children as our healer forever. I mean, think about the pain you're carrying right now. Disappointment, heartache, maybe you have a sense of betrayal in a relationship. There's physical pain that's not just been one day, but it's been years. Maybe you're experiencing the death of loved ones. Or just frustration over the constant change of our world and never being able to depend upon tomorrow. And then, of course, there are the deep, deep wounds that no one else knows of but you. What we see right here in our passage is that God will comfort and heal. He will come close. 
And he will make everything untrue that is sad in your life and mine for those who are his. Because he says, behold, I'm making all things new. Not all new things. Not that he's abandoning everything that's broken. He's just making them whole. The broken things are mended. Our bodies, our minds, our hearts finally full and fully living into God's good design. God will bring that to you personally and to his new creation world. And every longing for wholeness, we're longing ultimately for this home. Every longing that you and I have is a longing for home. And the home that God has promised to you and to me is a place of healing. Now, I know some of you may be thinking, okay, but what's to stop this chaos from breaking in again? We break things and we are broken by others. That's why number two, home is a place of protection. Yes, all is made right. This is that righteousness. But it is where justice also rings true. Everything sad untrue, but no longer will injustice be able to break in and sadness be able to break in anew. God's people will finally know the full answer to our prayer and the Lord's prayer, deliver us from evil. And righteousness and justice will kiss in the reign of Christ for all eternity. Look with me, Revelation chapter 22, verses 12 through 15. Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Three times over this beautiful picture. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral, murderers and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. In other words, there is no more injustice. Imagine that thought. This last year, we have seen the reemergence of the cry of the vulnerable, declaring no justice, no peace. Finally, our black and brown brothers and sisters, and I mean that, our true brothers and sisters with the same shared father and the same elder brother, Jesus, will breathe more than just a sigh of relief, but justice. For God will finally tear down systems of injustice, the evil one and his leveraging of historical evil to dig ruts of oppression will be removed and will never be seen or heard from again. The tree of life that was mentioned in verses 1 and 2. Its leaves are said to bring healing to the nations, which means no more war, no more racism, no more superiority or supremacy, no more inferiority, no more insecurity, no more abuse, no more bullies, no more contempt, no more nationalism, no more bigotry, no more greed, no more political polarization or pride. Only diversity and unity in Jesus. And when the Spirit of God, listen to me, this is the down payment. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 1. The Spirit of God is actually the down payment of what he will finally complete in the new heavens and new earth. It is our stamp that we belong to the future that he has in store with him. And it's in another way, the future breaking into the present, into his people, bringing about new creation life, even in the midst of a broken world. You see, God does not engage time or view time the same way that you and I do. And this eschatological spirit, this spirit that's actually a, a foretaste of what's going to happen in the future, is breaking the future actually into the present when we stand for justice, when we pursue peace, when we actually engage in loving and compassionate movements 
for those around us and so proclaim the gospel of what God has come to do in Christ. But one day that'll be fully realized. No longer a battle, but purely a delight. All because of the declaration of God in Revelation chapter 21, verses 27, where he says, but nothing unclean will ever enter it. That's his new creation. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. God is on guard. Every longing we've had for justice, every longing is ultimately a longing for home. And our home will be a place of protection. But as important as healing is, and frankly as essential as justice is, there's another quality that's at the bedrock of this new home, upon which all of it is built. And we come to see that number three, our home is a place of love. You see, more than anything, home is about the people who indwell it. Home is a person to come home to. We saw earlier in the year, as we walked through Romans chapter 12, and we talked about how we actually change and grow, and how central to your flourishing and mine is this framework of being attached and resting in God's secure love. Psychologists say that the earliest response that we have as human beings isn't fight or flight, it's to reach. And real secure love that comes from God and then also then goes through us to allow healthy relationships with others is at the center of eternal flourishing. And this is at the heart of what God longs to give us, to bring us in himself for eternity. Because as we see in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, God himself is love. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. How do we know this? We look at Romans chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This love that he's already put on display is coming to make his home here with us. And we see that in Revelation 21, 3. Where God, or John writes, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And then Revelation 22, 4, They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. He's going to wipe away the tears from our eyes, and we will see his face, fully known, and fully loved forever. That's what he has in store for us. All because of who he is. We are lovely because of how he loves us. Every longing that you and I have is a longing for home. And this home is a place of healing, it's a place of protection, and it's a place of love. And you know what's so fascinating about how Revelation ends? Not only with this amazing word of hope, Revelation ends by telling us it's just around the corner. Our home is almost here. I'm coming soon. Jesus himself says three times over in Revelation 22. Listen to this. Revelation 22, verse 7. And behold, I'm coming soon. Revelation 22, verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon. Revelation 22, verse 20. Surely I'm coming soon. Don't we long for that? But the reality is, is our perspective of soon and God's perspective of soon 
is often very different. Similar with my kids. Um, my wife's parents were in town, Gigi and Deepa, right? And we told them, they're coming into town soon. We told this to our kids. For them, that meant like in two minutes. So they took it upon themselves to ask us every day, every hour, every minute, are they here yet? In reality, in the Christian life, you and I, we are the kids. <laughs> we long for soon to be now. And if it's not now, if it's in any way, shape, or form later, it feels like it's way too late. And yet here we are, some 2,000 years later, waiting. And if we think we have it bad, imagine John, the apostle, who's recording this vision, our visionary guide throughout this whole journey. He had walked with Jesus. He had met him. He had seen Jesus heal people. He had heard his teachings live in person. He had experienced a warm embrace with Jesus. He looked into his eyes. And then he'd watched him die to be crushed on the cross for his own transgressions. And then he witnessed his resurrection. He saw him ascend into heaven. He received the Spirit. And then he was a pastor over these various churches in Asia Minor. He saw them struggling, them waiting, many of them either losing influence and some even losing their lives, waiting. And all he could hear was, I'm coming soon. And there he is on an island in Patmos, on account of his witness, suffering, lonely, hungry, tired, wondering what's going to come next. And yet all he can hear is, I'm coming soon. And after the vision is over, and you can imagine him sending this on to the churches, a really old faithful follower of Jesus, still in exile, still waiting. He dies on that island, waiting, holding fast to the words, I'm coming soon. But why end Revelation there with this word of hope? What's John seeking to communicate to his tired churches and to every church still waiting today? In the midst of our longing, in the midst of our aching, in the midst of our hoping, I believe it's this. As we hear this amazing word of hope, we're to hear the charge, live like home is almost here. Live like home is almost here. Keep your heart set on home. And, I, and I, I know some you know, folks will give the pushback, yeah, 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 but I've heard the saying, you know, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good, right? And I've heard some folks say that. Frankly, I've even said that at some point in my life. The only problem is I've just never seen those folks. Folks who are genuinely raptured with the joy and hope of heaven tend to have the most magnificent impact on earth. I love the way C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, puts it. He says, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set foot on the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. This is important. Aim at earth and you will get neither. So live like home is almost here. That means proclaim the gospel to everyone what God has done in Christ in his life, his death, and his resurrection and how he is our only hope for salvation both in the future, but also in the present. 
Bear witness to the injustice that you see, knowing that God will come and he will judge the living and the dead. Don't let fear stop you. Do not cease in doing good, as the Apostle Paul says. Some of you need to be reminded to suffer well, knowing he will wipe away your tears. Feeling discouraged that God has yet to fulfill his promises to you in the timeline you had hoped. That your prayers feel like they're delayed and being answered. And for all of us, we need to keep asking him. Asking him to come as if he'll answer that tomorrow and he will be here. Why? Because when this new creation comes, all the suffering, all the witnessing, all the asking will actually be worth it. It will feel small in comparison to eternity once it arrives. And you know what? That makes me think of the reality in which I stand today in this space. You know, it was around nine plus years where just starting with a few folks in a social room of an apartment, thinking someday God might have a church home for us here in downtown. And I remember praying. I remember being frustrated at times. I remember hoping. I remember walking around this neighborhood, dreaming, anticipating what God might do someday. And yet, here's what's so fascinating. When I finally was able to celebrate with our staff the evening of the ribbon cutting, all those moments of waiting, all those tears, all that anticipation felt so small in comparison to finally sitting in God's fulfillment in this place and Him carrying us here. God is working and it will be worth it if we'll but live like home is almost here because when it arrives, all that waiting will feel so small in comparison. And you know, it has me thinking about a well-known Christmas song, and I wonder if, they, if it's not more profound than I've often given it credit for. I wonder if maybe we should stand together and sing way more often than we do with a Christian hope and perspective. I'll be home for Christmas. You can plan on me. imagine that. Don't lose sight of what's coming. Who's coming? Let's live like home is almost here. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. Let's pray. God, we do anticipate what you have in store, what you've promised that you have gone away to prepare and will one day bring with you God, may you strengthen our endurance. May you give us a deep perseverance and also an overflowing joy because we are so anchored in the hope and the anticipation of your faithful deliverance of your promises to your people and your new creation. We love you, God, and we thank you that you speak good words of hope to us that are not empty but have yet to be fulfilled. We trust you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And so now we turn to a meal where we actually anticipate this glorious feast. A meal that is a a reminder that a greater meal is coming. And it's actually still breaking in today. It's what we often call a foretaste. Here at the Lord's Supper, we have the gospel proclaimed to our senses of taste, touch, and smell. Through common broken bread, we remember Jesus' body broken for us. And through common juice, we remember his blood shed for the forgiveness 
of our sins. If you're a follower of Jesus and you have some of those elements available to you, I'd encourage you to gather some friends and family and to partake together in remembrance of him. But before you do so, let's remember what's been handed down to us. For the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whenever you're ready, eat and hope for what God will do one day.